Welcome to Ramblings with a Medical Historian. I'm your host, Nicole Curry, and this is the podcast where I ramble on about the history of medicine, such as fun facts, common misconceptions, and strange practices. I may even talk about other historical topics, such as local history. This is episode 10. Wow, I made it to 10 episodes and people are actually listening. Thank you. I never thought I would be making a podcast until last summer when my friend and co-worker Mari convinced me that I could and should make a podcast. Now I'm making so many new friends through the podcast. So I would like to thank Mari for encouraging me to make this podcast. Go follow her at M-O-R- dot design underscore also thank you to the night guys podcast hosted by two amazing best friends this is one of the first paranormal podcasts i discovered and the one that got me hooked on listening to podcasts so go check them out search night guys podcast that's night as in nighttime and geist g-e-i-s-t I would also like to give a shout out to the Quite Unusual podcast. They are also amazing. And the History Emporium and Pals podcast hosted by Ollie. But the biggest thanks is to all of you listeners. Thank you to everyone who has taken the time to listen to my podcast, despite the quality being a bit lacking. As I said, I'm no professional. At the Old Stone House, we say we are a historic site. We don't understand modern technology. And I feel that very deeply. Now, to get on to today's episode, I will be talking about maple syrup. I know this isn't a medical history topic, but I will try to have a focus on the history and also the medicinal benefits. Maple syrup is stereotypically Canadian. We produce 83% of the world's supply of maple syrup. Quebec is the largest producer in Canada with 91%, followed by Ontario and New Brunswick, both with 4%. The U.S. produces about 7%, with Vermont being the largest producing state. Maple syrup and maple sugar products are made by boiling down the sap of maple trees. The world production of maple syrup and sugar is mainly limited to the maple belt, the hardwood forest stretching from the Midwestern United States through Ontario, Quebec, and New England, and into New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, and Prince Edward Island. However, British Columbia, Manitoba, and Saskatchewan also produce some syrup. To make maple syrup, you gather sap from the trees and boil it down. It is collected from maple trees, the main being sugar maple. The sugar maple leaf is a symbol of Canada. It is the leaf on our flag. Other maple trees are red, silver, and black maple. 
Here in Northern Ontario, we have mainly sugar and red maples. I have a couple red maples in my yard and I use them to produce syrup. And it has a bit different taste, lighter color, and also a red tint to it. The sap of sugar maples has a sugar content of 3 to 5%, and the sap of red maples has a sugar content of about 2 to 3.5%. So sugar maples are very sugary. In the spring, when the nights reach minus 7 degrees Celsius and the days reach 7 degrees Celsius, the sap begins to flow. The temp has to stay like this for the sap to continue flowing. During the night, when the temperature drops to minus 7 degrees, the cold causes the gases in the tree's wood cells to compress, creating a vacuum, drawing water to the top of the tree. During the day, when the temperature rises to 7 degrees, the hot temperatures will cause the gases in the wood to expand, creating pressure for the sap to flow out through the spile. The warm temperature pulls the sap up to start the new growth. Last year's reserve sugar follows the sap and brings nutrients to the tree until new leaves emerge and can produce food for the tree. Trees normally produce sap for six to eight weeks depending on the weather. Most sap is collected during a 10 to 14 day sap run. As the nights and days get warmer, the sap stops flowing. It also stops when the tree's buds open. We tap a tree by drilling a hole that is between 3 and 8 centimeters deep and angled slightly upwards, then insert a spile without overly forcing it. If a tree has already been tapped, be sure to separate them. If the taps are too close together, an area of the tree may die. When collecting sap, we do not collect more than 10% of the tree's sap. Each tap can also produce roughly 38 liters of sap. Some trees can be tapped for 150 years and still produce. We can either hang a bucket on the spile or attach a tube that connects to a large tubing system which connects all the trees to a main tube that leads to a tank in the sugar shack. The sugar shack is where the syrup is made. With the traditional spile and bucket system, the sap level in the tree must be higher than the tap. But with a vacuum in the tube harvesting system, a pump draws the sap up and out of the tree, even if the sap level is lower than the tap. Many small traditional sugar shacks collect the sap with the buckets. They often have lids to prevent debris from falling into the bucket. Farmers often have to go out at least once and maybe even twice a day when the sap really starts to run. They make sure that the buckets don't overflow and the sap doesn't overheat and spoil in the buckets. At the beginning of the season, 40 liters of sap produces one liter of syrup and at the end of the season, it takes 50 liters of sap to produce one liter of syrup. Once we have collected the sap, we can start boiling. By boiling the sap, we are removing the water by evaporation. The higher concentration of sugar causes the sap to turn into syrup. 
The sap is normally placed in the largest pan to start. Gradually, as the sap boils, there is room in the pan. Continue adding fresh sap. As long as the sap continues to evaporate, you can transfer it to another pan to continue boiling. The temperature rises slowly at first, but as soon as there is more sugar, it can boil quickly. The sap will get darker and thicker as it turns into syrup. It will also produce a layer of foam that can be removed with a skimmer. The sap becomes syrup at 4 degrees above the boiling point of water, and the, that boiling point is usually 100 degrees Celsius. But it can change depending on altitude, barometric pressure, and the temperature of the day. You can check if the syrup is ready with different methods. There are various devices that can be used to measure if it's ready, but easier and funner methods are checking the thickness of the syrup by pouring it onto a spoon and seeing if it flows slowly. We call it aproning off. If you use a wooden spatula, you can tell if the syrup is ready if it sticks to the spatula. A wooden spatula with a hole in it is also used. After dipping the spatula into the boiling liquid, blow into it. If a stream of bubbles forms, the sap is ready. If you cook the sap longer, you can make maple taffy and even maple sugar. Once the syrup is ready, it is immediately filtered to remove the nitre or sugar sand, which is a natural precipitation of certain minerals in the sap. There are two types of filtration method. The first is the gravity system and it's the cheapest and most accessible. The hot syrup is poured into a felt or wool sleeve and a paper filter must also be added to remove most of the nitre and to make cleanup easier. Large producers use pressure filtration systems where the syrup is pumped through a series of filter plates and disposable filter pads. Long before the Europeans arrived in North America, the indigenous people were collecting sap and making maple sugar. We don't know how far this dates back, but they could have been doing so for several thousand years. The sweet sap of the sugar maple was known and valued by indigenous people of the eastern woodlands, including the Abenaki, Haudenosaunee, and the Mi'kmaq, long before the arrival of the European settlers. Haudenosaunee tradition tells of the piercing of the bark of a maple and the use of its sweet water to cook venison, a happy accident that might have also established the culinary technique of maple-cured meats. Maple curing was a food preservation method practiced by the Anishinaabe that allowed communities to keep food stores for winter months when food was scarce. The Anishinaabe called the sugaring off period when the sap was collected the maple moon or sugar month. The traditional sugaring off became established in communities in the deciduous forests of North America and has survived to the present. Many native tribes in the northeastern regions of North America made maple sugar in the same areas we are making maple syrup today. They made maple sugar instead of maple syrup because the sugar keeps better. They added sugar to most of their meals and later used it as a trade item when the Europeans arrived. They passed on their knowledge to the first settlers who arrived in New France. 
To collect the sap, the natives made a notch with an axe in the tree. Then they would insert a V-shaped piece of wood. In French, we call this a gutterelle because it resembled a gutter. It directed the sap to a container. They used a birch bark container placed on the ground. This container was called a mokuk, and it was sealed with pine resin. They sometimes drank the sap or used it as medicine. They would then transfer the sap into hollowed out logs. Since the logs could not be placed on the fire, they heated stones. Once the stones were hot, they placed them into the sap. They continually circulated the stones by adding new ones and removing the cold ones. Some natives used soapstone bowls or clay pots to place the sap over the fire so that it would cook more quickly and with less work. When the Europeans arrived, they brought iron kettles which were later used. Another method is described, but we don't know which indigenous people used it. They let the sap freeze at night and in the morning they would remove the layer of ice. They would do this again night after night until the sap had thickened. All that was left to do was boil it for a few minutes. French settlers learned from the indigenous peoples how to tap trees to obtain the sap and how to boil it to reduce it to the sweet syrup or sugar slabs to be stored for later use. The first settler accounts of maple sugaring were by André Sauvet, who wrote of Jacques Cartier's voyage in 1557, and by Marc Lecarbeau, who described the collection and distillation of sap by the Mi'kmaq in 1606. When the Europeans started making maple syrup, they introduced the sugar shack in the late 1700s. They collected the sap in wooden buckets. They emptied them into a barrel pulled by a horse. Sheet metal was introduced in the 1860s. Buckets, pans, and spiles were therefore made of metal. Buckets, pans, and spiles were then made of metal. Plastic spiles were introduced around 1950 along with the tubing system. At first, the system worked using gravity. The pump system was later developed. Canadian maple producers harvested 14.3 million gallons of maple syrup in 2020, surpassing the 2019 record of 13.2 million gallons. The increased production resulted in a total sales of 558.5 million in 2020, up from 7.9% the year before. From 2011 to 2012, we had the Great Canadian Maple Syrup Heist. They stole nearly 3,000 tons of maple syrup valued at $18.7 million from a Quebec facility. It is considered the most valuable heist in Canadian history, and I can think of nothing more Canadian than that. The saying as Canadian as maple syrup demonstrates the degree to which maple syrup products and production are associated with Canadian identity. Maple syrup products are commonly sold in tourist shops across the country and given as diplomatic gifts. In Ontario, children often visit sugar shacks on school trips or with their families in spring where they learn how maple syrup is made and taste fresh made maple products, usually maple taffy.
I even remember doing this when I was little. We would take trips out to the sugar track with my class and also my family would take me out to my grandparents' farm where we had our own maple sugar shack. Now on to the medicinal aspect of maple syrup. Now the vitamin content in maple syrup might be extremely low or almost non-existent. However, there are quite a few minerals present in measurable quantities. One tablespoon of maple syrup contains approximately 33% of your daily value of manganese, which is essential for healthy bones. Other minerals found in maple syrup include zinc, copper, calcium, iron, magnesium, and potassium. It is rich in antioxidants. It is supposed to help lower cholesterol, aid in brain health, and fight inflammatory diseases. It is an alternative to sugar for better digestion. It is even said to be better and healthier than honey as well. It has important vitamins and minerals and is a healthy alternative to the artificial sweetener. Maple syrup is labeled a superfood. New research found that nutrients, minerals, and phytonutrients in maple syrup may fight inflammation and help people sustain intense workouts, meaning the natural plant-based substance could be used as a performance aid without the addition of processed sugars. Results showed maple syrup to have less of an acidic taste than commercial sports drinks with a similar overall appreciation. Using a natural product that athletes enjoy and are inclined to drink more of during exercise can be key to maintain fluid balance, said Dr. Jonathan Tremblay, PhD, Associate Professor at the University of Montreal School of Kinesiology and Exercise Science. So athletes now are even using maple syrup to aid in their workouts. Quebecol is a polyphenolic chemical compound that has been isolated from Canadian maple syrup. It has a chemical formula C24H26O7. Analysis of maple sap before it is converted into syrup suggests that this compound is not naturally present in the sap, but instead is formed during the extraction or processing, so when you're boiling the sap down to make syrup. A total synthesis of the compound was reported in 2013. The chemical compound is named after Quebec, which is the largest producer of maple syrup in the world. A study at the University of Rhode Island looked at how Quebecol inhibits cancer in cervical, ovarian, breast, and colon cancers. The results showed that Quebecol and closely related compounds were able to effectively kill cancer cells. This groundbreaking transformation opens the door for this compound to serve as a potential cancer prevention drug. This is exciting news, and even better news is there is already a drug on the market that is similar to this compound. A common chemotherapy drug, tamoxifen, is widely used to treat breast cancer and is remarkably similar to Quebecol, 
but tamoxifen is known to have more severe side effects. Quebecol could be a future alternative treatment method as it has been consumed for centuries, like in maple syrup without showing any toxic effects. So there is all I have about maple syrup. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I know it was a little bit different than normal. But next month, I will have something special out for you. So stay tuned to find out what that is. So if you have any questions, comments, concerns, you can email me at ramblings.mh at gmail.com. Or you can follow me on Facebook and Instagram at ramblings with a medical historian. Thank you for listening. And remember, keep rambling on.